1: The truth is, I can sell anything that I... First of all, I have to want to sell it. I have to believe in it. Second of all, if they've got testimonials that are decent, they don't even have to be great. And if they have a risk-free proposition, I can sell anything. Guaranteed, I can sell anything. (laughs) I hate to call anything that I do a gift Mm -hmm. because I have worked hard to master everything I have mastered, but I do think there was a piece of me that was to be a writer. My grandmother was a writer Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and she was a copywriter too. She wrote radio commercials. Michael, if I had to sum in a nutshell what's unique about Brian. And in my copywriting, it's this deep, compassionate empathy that's truly heartfelt for other people. And I think that's what I took away from the brain tumor experience.
2: Had you ever had a, a job working for somebody?
1: Yeah, I did, actually. I had two jobs for that. One was in my teenage years. I worked at a Mexican restaurant. Bushing Uh, tables, cooking, what? I was called a disher. I would take the food, put it on the plate, make it look pretty, and the people would eat it. So there was a little bit of cooking involved, but no recipes, you know. It was just fry the taco.
2: How long were you at that job, the Mexican food one?
1: Six years. I actually started when I was 13.
2: That's a long time.
1: Yeah, I worked hard, you know, all my other friends were out playing for the most part and they were all pretty rich. I come from a real poor country background, you know, I grew up in the backwoods of Oklahoma, you know, we just never had much for me to get a $5 uh, magic set for Christmas. Was a dream come true? How many brothers and sisters do you have? I just had one older brother that beat the holy living crap out of me all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean it's funny now, but it wasn't fun at the time. You know, my my dad was basically ignored me, and my my mom was real sweet. She was always in a lot of emotional pain. You know, it's just a kind of a you know. I'm not here to whine. It's just rough. Uh, you know, my mom and dad divorced. I think I was 11 or so. A year and a half later, my mom moved out here to Utah just on a whim. and
2: Take the boys with her?
1: Uh, she took me with her. And my older brother was really, he was just angry at the world, angry at everything. So he stayed there, and he, he actually was renting a house on his own, and he was about 16, 17 years old. But anyway, I, I uh, worked real hard to try to have some money, and... And then I had uh, a really great experience. I served as a missionary for the Mormon Church over in Japan.
2: Really? How would you get that deal?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's a choice you make. When you're 19, it's not a requirement. It's up to you whether or not you go on a mission. And if you do, they'll support you.
2: So did you you moved out to Japan at 19?
1: Yeah, I went to Japan and lived there for uh, 18 months.
2: Were you with other guys doing the same thing? Yeah. Was it fun?
1: <laughs> it was. It was more fun than anything. Uh, it was more fun than it was missionary work, for me anyway.
2: Now, were you
1: Mormon? Yeah.
2: So is that the guy you see, like they go out two by two on bicycles in the white shirts and kind of... That's to s- right. You were doing that in Japan?
1: Yeah. They have a language training center in Provo, Utah, where you spend about six weeks doing your best to learn the language. And Japanese is not the simplest language on the six weeks isn't the <laughs> longest amount of time you need, so mm-hmm. but what they found is that they just throw you into it and you just tend to pick it up after about Oh, four or five months. Once you understand the fundamentals and you keep studying your vocabulary and you look up words as people say them if you don't understand them, it's uh, a great experience. It was really wonderful. And to this day, I cherish those memories. I absolutely love Japanese food.
2: Okay, so you came back and you were 20 and a half. And then did you come right back to Utah?
1: Yes, I uh, came back and I met a gal and got married right away. Probably too soon. Uh, But, hey, we fell in love, and I fell head over heels, and uh, we got married.
2: When you got married, what was your financial situation?
1: You know, we lived in a mobile home. We had just shopped around for apartments, and we just couldn't see dumping money into something like that, where the money was just going down the drain, and so... Somehow or other, we came up with the idea, well, let's find a mobile home. And we did, and we found an inexpensive mobile home park to put it in, and we did that. Got a job at Interstate Brick. And what I did, along with about six other guys, all day long was take bricks off the kiln cars and stack them onto pallets.
2: Wow. They were a brick manufacturer. Yeah. So these were like hot bricks coming out of the oven.
1: Exactly, yeah, and sometimes they will definitely were hot,
2: <laughs> and how long did you do that for?
1: Yeah, let's see. I started in probably eighty three and I quit in April of eighty seven
2: What kind of money did that pay?
1: They paid some piecework rate, but it was the base was six fifty an hour mm-hmm. and the piecework allowed me to usually make about a hundred dollars a day that. But you know at the same time first of all I just knew I didn't belong there. It just wasn't the space for me. Mm -hmm. But I had a family to support. A friend of mine had to introduce me to Amway. Now I'm bringing this up but Amway was the pivotal turning point in my thinking.
2: Who introduced you to Amway?
1: A high school friend of mine. Here's what appealed to me most Michael. They said that I could work 20 hours a week and make five thousand a month, and that meant if I only have to work 20 hours a week to make five thousand a month. I'm financially free. In my in my mind, you know, please understand. You know, I'm I'm 22, 23 years old, making six fifty an hour. Five thousand seems like a gold mine, and I only have to work 20 hours a week to, to do it. That is what sold me on doing it. And, num- and number two was the chance to get out of the brickyard and to be my own boss and run my own show and make residual permanent income working 20 hours a week for 5000 a month.
2: I bet you couldn't sleep that night.
1: Oh, I... <laughs> I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. And I went out over the next year and... And I sponsored, personally sponsored 36 people, two downline legs that I had driven down about six levels deep. But more importantly, I was listening to the, the uh, Worldwide Dream Builders tape.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: a gentleman by the name of Bill Brett. I think Bill Brett started the Worldwide Dream Builders Association. And anyway, it was kind of like a tape of the week club. And it was all these Amway successful Amway people telling their story on these tapes and how they do the business and etc. And I would go to work with a tape player and a headphones, and I would listen to those tapes over and over all day long. Mm -hmm. I was getting sales training over and over all day long. I was getting inspiration over and over all day long. And it just made my days slide by. It was wonderful. You know, I never made a dime in Amway, and the key mistake I made is I didn't sponsor people who were at my ambition level or above. I I sponsored people who were easy to sponsor because they were so inspired by my enthusiasm that they just lined up, but they had no drive or ambition of their own. That was one of the principles of the training that they taught you. Sponsor at your ambition level or above, Mm -hmm. which is really a brilliant concept when it comes to network marketing. Because if you're sponsoring people as ambitious as you are, well, if you're ambitious, then uh, you you know you're going to have success. But more importantly, I thank God for Amway because I would not have started down this path of working for myself I wouldn't even it wouldn't even have occurred to me that I could be a business owner. I didn't picture me ever being a business owner at that age. Mm-hmm. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just having a family and and paying the bills, and I mean we were happy I mean we were you know we were happy, we weren't rolling in the dough, but mm-hmm. like, you know we had a lot of joy in our little home, but a lot of happy memories of mm-hmm. my life comes so in that time period and I worked hard you know I came home dripping wet with sweat every day in my overall you know but those those are some really treasured memories one thing uh, when I was working at the, the brickyard a friend approached me a different friend and he said hey Brian you know what I've been cleaning carpets I got this carpet cleaning machine and People have been paying me to clean some carpets. You want to come out on some jobs? I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. I was like, wow, okay. So I went out on some jobs with him in the evening and did some uh, carpet cleaning. Pay me 10 bucks an hour. And that we did that. on. It, it wasn't very often, maybe a couple times a month. We did that on and off for like six months. Then he, uh, about you know, six months into it, he goes, Hey, Brian, you know, I got these uh, office buildings. I'm cleaning these carpets for it, but they also asked me if I could uh, like, empty the trash and clean off the desks and, and vacuum and things like that. So, so we started up a little janitorial service. And, you know, we got too many people, too many clients. You want to take over... Well, you know, I'll pay you 12 bucks an hour to, to go at night and clean this place and that place. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And so I, w- I went and he trained me and showed me, you know, what to do at this office and don't do this at that office, and it's just whatever the people wanted is what we did. And there were pretty big buildings. None of them were just little onesie-twosie, you know, like an accountant's office or, or something like that. And uh, I got thinking about it and I thought, you know what? Well, I didn't consciously think this, but I had all this sales training from Amway. I thought about it and thought, you know, I bet I could go out. And I could, I bet you anything. I could I could get some of these deals myself. And so I asked my buddy if it was all right with him. And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I did. I took one of the busiest streets in Salt Lake Valley. And I'm so proud of this, Michael. I, I've got to... I am so proud of this. I had uh, some business cards. I had printed up a thousand business cards for fifteen bucks. Boyle's Cleaning Service said on there. Put my wife's name on there and put my name on there. And I I went to Thirty Third South and Third West. I went all the way up to Twenty Third East, and so we're we're talking probably five miles maybe eight miles. I walked on the north side of 33rd South, and I knocked on every stinking door there was to knock. (coughs) Went in, suit and tie, introduced myself, said, yeah, uh, who's in charge of your janitorial service? I tell you, I went up the north side, crossed the street after eight miles of door knocking, went down the south side, eight miles of door knocking, took me about three and a half weeks to do this, and by the time I was done, I had $3,200 worth of janitorial services, little teeny offices that all the big companies wouldn't even touch, little teeny offices that were happy to pay me, oh, yeah, we need it so bad, the bathroom, and, the, and the, we hate taking out the garbage, and Everything I had thirty two hundred dollars, and they were all like little sixty dollars a month deal
2: that was thirty two hundred a month,
1: yeah, and my biggest job was hundred and twenty bucks a month man i was I couldn't believe it. I had landed $120 a hundred and twenty dollars a month job
2: that's great, and it's a residual too,
1: yeah, and they were, most of them were once a week. And so I said, well, you know, do you mind if I come on a, on a Tuesday night, Said of on the weekend? And what I did is I got them all. They were all happy just to have me come. You know, I had my whole week divided up. So, And what I did is I got up at four thirty, five in the morning, and I would go and I would clean the offices for that day. And I was home by 7 in time to help with breakfast and getting the kids off to school. So I was working... Two and a half, maybe three hours every early morning doing janitorial. And I came home. And you know what? I was free the rest of the day.
2: (laughs) That's great.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, part of the story was I got laid off. I got laid off about four months after I started this janitorial thing. From the
2: brick place.
1: Yeah, the brick place laid me off. And, you know, they offered me the job back later, but I just said, no, thank you, you know. <laughs> so anyway, you know, they were really great. And they paid their unemployment, and, they, they, you know, they were a good company.
2: Do a comparison. The
1: bricklaying
2: with your hard labor, how much were you making a month? And then let's compare it to what you had going with your own business.
1: Oh, I was really happy to make 2000 or 2200 a month in bricklaying. And that was
2: from what time to what time?
1: started at 7, so I had to leave at 6.30, and the work ended at 3.30.
2: And then the janitorial work, you were doing two and a half hours in the morning, yeah. and you were making around 3200 a month.
1: Yeah. Well now, well, now, on the weekends, I would have to put in a, a, a good uh, three hours, three, Okay. maybe four, just on the Saturday. I never worked Sunday.
2: And you got that all from hustling.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was too- It was such a no-brainer. When I look at it now, I just think, well, anybody could do that. Just pick a busy street and look for these little little businesses that the big boys just aren't even going to go after. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about window cleaning. You know, I just did the basic stuff people didn't want to do. They didn't want to take out their garbage. They didn't want to clean the toilet. They didn't want to scrub the bathroom floor. They didn't want to vacuum. They didn't want to dust. And you know what? That's all I ever did. Common, ordinary, housekeeping stuff that took no specialized training whatsoever. It was just no-brainer stuff that, guess what? People don't want to do it.
2: Okay, so how long did you do the janitorial stuff?
1: I did that for... I was still doing it when I had started my copywriting. What I realized after doing the janitorial for a month or two... I've got the rest of the day and I can't handle any more janitorial work unless I want to start getting into employees and stuff like that. And that was something in Amway that they shunned. Because they you know, they'd tell you, No you don't need employees. You don't want because then you become a slave to the business. And so that was something I knew I wanted to stay away from. So I thought, Okay, we're flipping along here pretty good. I got the trailer paid off, bought a new car for my wife, a Hyundai Excel. <laughs> really, it was the nicest car I had ever owned. And I thought, well, okay, what am I going to do? And my wife one day, uh, my wife at the time said, well, did you make money with your magic before, doing magic shows? I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I did five or six shows and made some money. Is well, why don't you do that during the day? I'm like, well, yeah, who's gonna hire a a magician during the day, you know? And then it just occurred to me that elementary schools would, so I just wasn't afraid to get on the phone, Michael. And I got because I'd done it on it with Amway, and I just got on the phone and I started calling daycare centers. I started calling uh, actually the elementary schools. I dressed up, suit, and tie, and I went to every elementary school in the Salt Lake Valley. Something any professional magician would be either too elitist about, too good to do, or he's just too freaking lazy, which most people are. I went to every school, and by the time I was done, I had gone to like 40 schools, and out of 40 schools, I had booked like 18 shows. You know, and I, I, admittedly, I wasn't charging much because I, I didn't know what to charge. I charged fifty bucks for most of them, and then later on, as I as I was seeing success, I thought, well, gee, maybe I should charge more. And it wasn't a matter of of market thinking. I wasn't thinking about the market or marketing at all. I was just thinking, well, gee, maybe I could get more money. You know, I wasn't thinking what the demand was or what the competition was charging. It was just a matter of, hey, maybe I could get more. So I just started, I charged a few of those $85. I thought, man, I'm making bank. I'm going to go to the school. I'm going to spend a half hour. I'm going to get $50. bucks. i am going to get 85 bucks. You know how much that is, an hour? Holy crap, that's 170 bucks an hour. I was so excited I couldn't stand it.
2: That's great. And had you practiced magic when you were younger?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, a friend gave me a magic kit when I was 10. And from that point on, man, I just hooked on magic. still am to this day. I don't do shows anymore. I w- well, when I speak at a seminar, I almost always do magic. Mm-hmm. But but I still like, I'll still buy the latest videos and some of the newest tricks and things like that. It's, it's just an addiction, you know? And where I'm leading, though, is the magic is ultimately, I mean, Emily was the... the a paradox shift for me. I mean, that just changed everything from having a job to just, I just had this programmed drive to be self-employed. And that was the crux of everything that guided me to where I am. And then magic is what turned me on to marketing because I just wanted to succeed at it. And I thought, well, how can I get more business? I just need more business. Again, I wasn't afraid to get on the phone. But I was getting too many shows that was taking up phone time. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't be on the phone. Because you can only phone during certain hours. And hey, if I'm out doing shows during those hours, guess what? I can't be on the phone generating business. So I thought, well, maybe I'll advertise. Well, actually what made me think of that was from the preschool shows, I was getting birthday parties. Moms would call and say, Hi, my son saw you today and he just loved you. You were he said you were hilarious and and do you do birthday parties? And of course I wasn't gonna say no <laughs> even though I'd never done one. And so I said, Sure, yeah, I can do a birthday party. So that's what got me thinking, Well, gee, maybe there are other people out there that would like to have a magician at their birthday. See, i d I'd never even heard of that. I never even heard of having a magic show at your birthday party. I mean, I was really naive about life in general. So anyway, I thought, well, maybe I'll advertise. But where can I advertise for preschool? I can't. There's nowhere. I can't advertise for for elementary schools. Oh, I don't know what to do. Then I just thought, well, I'll just advertise for birthday parties this is really uh, a key turning point for me Uh, there's a news an advertising newspaper here in town called the mailbox shopper really nice it's a good publication people and people do get results from it now it was a lot younger when i looked at it but anyway i had the guy come out the owner and he was selling me on this ad and i said well Okay, you know, I'll think about it. But, you know, I don't know what to say in my ad. And he goes, well, here's some examples. And he shows me what everyone else is doing. And, well, you know, here's the name of the restaurant. And they've got a little coupon here. Buy one, get one, half off. And their address and their phone number. So I just thought, okay, well, I'll just do an ad that says magic shows put my phone number in there. Well, ultimately, I spent hours on this ad, and I was so confused about what to do, what to do. And I'd go to the yellow pages and look at all the ads in there, and i looked at all the ads in all the mailbox shoppers I could get my hands on. I even called several of the advertisers in Mailbox Shopper. Hey, does this thing work for you? You know, well, you know, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. That was just such a confusing deal for me. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I I decided uh, not to do it, but then the guy said, Well, how about this? How about, if, how about if I let you run this ad for half off and you come and do a magic show for my church? And I was like, well, Okay, wow, there's a deal. So I did it. I, I did get two birthday parties out of the uh, ad.
2: Do you remember how much the ad was for?
1: Oh, it was. It, it could have been more than a hundred bucks because I, I was a tight one, man. I wouldn't have spent. I wouldn't have spent more than a hundred bucks on it. Are you kidding me? That's two whole magic shows. You, you know that was. That was my mindset at the time. You know, and I got two parties out of it, but it. But I thought about it, and this is the one brilliant thing I did. I thought, no, wait a minute, I, you know, i spent... Two hundred and twenty five bucks on this ad, and I only got two birthday parties. Wow, it. Well, that wasn't a very good deal, you know, even though I'd paid for half my ad with the magic show, it still wasn't a very good deal
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's how I looked at it i didn't say well, i didn't break even, and so I just didn't know what to do now here's here's what happened here's, this so this is fun to even think about me uh, my wife and I. Did this chain letter thing? You've probably seen it. 9000 dollars in ninety days. Okay, we decided. Uh, oh, we, we let's just give this a try. And so we rented a mailing list of opportunity seekers. You know, for fifteen bucks right. a thousand. You know, and we mailed out all these chain letters, and of course it was just dismal. What happened? But what it did is it got my name on some mailing list. And I'll uh, I'll be forever grateful for that doggone shit. So here comes this newsprint magazine chock full of
2: money-making opportunities.
1: And I was paging through that sucker. I saw an ad and it said, Make more money in your business. Learn how to advertise and get results. Learn how to mail and get results. I was just blown away. I mean, it spoke right to me, Michael. Brilliant, and it was uh, it was an ad by Jeffrey Lance mm-hmm. for his money making marketing book. Wow! And right underneath it <laughs> was an ad that spoke to me just as. Just as well for his cash copy yep. book, and if you buy them both together, you save ten bucks. <laughs> so I, I I bit the bullet and I said I told my wife I said, honey. You know, I went to her with everything. You know, she controlled the money. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I <laughs> and I said, I have got to get these. I really think I could do something with my magic business if I get these books. Uh-huh. So we did. We got them, and I can I did not. I did not put those books down, except to go do a magic show and go do my cleaning route. And I I studied them, I devoured them, I took notes, I mapped out a marketing plan. I didn't even know about direct mail. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, what a cool idea, you know? Uh Except for our chain letters. Right, (laughs) right, right. You know? Oh, that's a neat idea. Oh, I could do a postcard. Oh, that's cool. I should just send a postcard instead of knocking on all these doors. Yeah. Or phoning all these places. I could mail them a letter. Wow, what a concept! But for me, it was, it was, this, was, this was amazing. And you know, those books really are good. You know, they're two of his finer works. And the, and the other books that I, re- I really love of his is uh, How to Make a Million Dollars Publishing, Commissioning, and Writing How-To Information. Mm-hmm. That's the best, in my opinion, step-by-step how to create an information product book on the planet. In fact I got a funny little side story. <laughs> I had bought uh well this this was a few years later but I had bought uh Ted Nicholas's uh how to how to publish a how to book. I don't remember what he called it.
2: How to publish a book and sell a million copies?
1: Yeah, that was it. I had bought that and it was expensive and, and I loved Ted. This is before I'd gotten to know him. Uh But it was just terrible compared to to Jeffrey Lance's book. Jeffrey Lance was so precise and detailed in every little step. And I actually wrote, I sent Ted's product back, and I actually wrote him a letter that said, Hey, uh, you know... I'm, I'm sorry I have to ask for a refund, but this just really isn't very good. <laughs> I don't know if you know about this book <laughs> by Jeffrey Lamp, but it's called How to Make a Blah Blah Blah, you know? And I said, you really ought to check it out, because it's, it's a lot better than yours. <laughs>
2: That's hilarious.
1: And I said that to Ted Nicholas. Well, anyway, I, I mean, really, Michael, I hardly slept for two weeks. And those books are thick. They are Copied in, and they took a while to read and, and understand and I ended up buying every single thing I could from that guy. It's
2: exactly what you needed. You had the answers in front of you in those books for your magic business and did you start applying them to your magic business? Oh,
1: did I ever. Oh, <laughs> man. One thing led to another. I got introduced to this guy. I don't, you know, I don't even remember how I found this. I must have been on some magic list and they rented my name or some. There was a gentleman by the name of Brian Flora in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. He since passed away, bless his heart. He had a second heart attack. He was uh, pretty young. He put on this annual conference for magicians on how to market your business. And somehow, I I got an invitation to it. I was just bouncing off the walls with excitement to go. Before that, I had already been having success from using the Jeffrey Lance stuff. And what I was doing, I was just mailing the elementary schools and the preschools. And I was having really good success with it. I believe in gifts, but I I hate to call anything that I do a gift Mm -hmm. because I have worked hard to master everything I have mastered. But I do think there was a piece of me that was to be a writer. You know, I wrote stories as a little boy. I wrote stories about the Cherry family, I called them. And I had poems and things. My grandmother was a writer Mm -hmm. and she was a copywriter, too. Really, She wrote radio commercials. Iva Simpson, is her name, and she, she, believe it or not, Michael, this is so cool to tell, she was the lady that came up with the word.
2: You've been listening to an exclusive interview with Brian Keith Royals. Please continue to part two.
0: Here is another bonus resource for you, and it's about a section on my site that has about 15 hours of audio interviews with copywriting experts, including Brian Keith Voiles, including Carl Galletti, including Eugene Schwartz. You will not find this content anywhere It will take you to an entire collection of audio recordings, MP3 downloads, and transcripts of some of my best interviews on the subject of copywriting. And You'll be able to play them, download them, print the transcripts, and it's a collection you will not find anywhere else. If you want an education on copywriting, you will not find anything better than this.